We have a guest speaker today. I am not the guy that will be standing behind the pulpit. We have Dr. Jerry Shepard coming to bring us the word this morning. We're thankful that he's not like Ron and decided that he did not want to stay in bed this morning and that he would come with us and uh, preach a good word for us. We're continuing our series, Misquoted, um, and Jerry is going to dissect a verse that is commonly, as the title says, misquoted. I think this is a verse that is pretty near and dear to your heart. Um, I've heard it a few times in class. Jerry was one of my professors at Taylor Seminary, and so if I ever do something wrong in Hebrew or the Old Testament, it's not my fault. Jerry didn't teach me well enough. No, 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 no. I just didn't listen well enough. That's what it was. That's right, what it right. was. Yeah. So blessings this morning, Jerry. We'll just pray for you, and then we'll let you get to it. God, we thank you um, for Jerry and all that he is. God, we thank you for making him a child and a brother in Christ. Um, God, we just bless him today. Help the words that he's prepared be words that are from you um, and led through your spirit for us here today. God, touch our hearts with it. Open our ears and our hearts as well. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's very good to be here at West Meadows again uh, with uh, the, the good saints of this church. And um, thank you for the introduction there, Andrew. Uh, he was more right the second time he said it, um, not listening, but uh, that's okay. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, Andrew was a, uh, is a good guy. Uh, very proud to have him as a former student. So, um, I am uh, joining in on this uh, misquoted uh, series for this summer, and uh, my task is to handle one of the, the verses that uh, is in the list, and um, I think that probably if there is an office or a staff pool that places bets uh, they probably are wagering that this particular message will get the most hate mail. Uh, so um, uh, the most uh, negative reaction, uh, because my passage is Jeremiah 29, 11. And uh, I'm sure that right now some of you are thinking, oh no, don't take Jeremiah 29, 11 away from me. I've got too much money invested in graduation cards. So... Anyway, uh, don't worry about that. But uh, I do want to ch tackle this uh, very interesting verse that, on the one hand, I don't want to take away from you. Um, and uh, I think, as Mark has uh, mentioned in the past, this is not necessarily a misquoted series, uh, though that is the case sometimes, but it's more of a, a misapplied or misused series. So as um, Andrew was mentioning, um, I put together a, a PowerPoint uh, way early uh, in, uh, uh, in part in my seminary career, uh, dealing with the whole area of um, how we sometimes misuse scripture. And Jeremiah 29.11 was one of the prominent passages in that. In 1955, uh, Rudolf Flesch wrote a book entitled, Why Can't Johnny Read? And the book was a critique of the American uh, educational system 
as far as teaching children how to read. In uh, 2010, um, Colin Hansen of Christianity Today uh, wrote an article entitled, Why Johnny Can't Read the Bible. And so I decided to use that title for my own um, PowerPoint uh, series that I do for my classes, uh, Why Johnny Can't Read His Bible. Now, if, any, if there's anyone here named Johnny this morning, I apologize. Um, I want to assure you, you are not alone. Uh, Tommy and Bill and Jack and Jill can't read their Bible either. Uh, but uh, you, we'll put you in good company here. So, why can't Johnny read his Bible? Well, in this PowerPoint that I put together several years ago, I came up with 12 reasons. And I'll be glad to come back and deal with all 12 of them for you at some point. But today, I only want to mention one. Why can't Johnny read his Bible? Because he's been told that the Bible is a magic box of promises and good luck charms that it's okay to take a verse out of context and treat it as your promise for the day, or even almost like a kind of a good luck charm. And of course, the promises, the, the verses we put in our magic promise box are only good verses, never negative verses. And so, here we go. Here is the verse that I'm dealing with. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And um, if you were ever at a, um, a graduation service in the 1990s, early 2000s, you could almost always count on two things happening at that graduation service. First of all, you would always have to sing, I will remember you. That Sarah McLachlan song, that was always sung at the graduation service. And the second thing, each graduate always had to receive a card with Jeremiah 29.11 on it. Well, Jeremiah 29.11 is actually big business. I did the research here, and this is what you can get with Jeremiah 29.11 on it. Pocket planners, mini metal bookmarks, Bible covers, journals, bracelets, church bulletins, necklaces, pendants, photo frames, cell phone charms, plaques, key rings, medallions, tiles, prints, lapel pins, luggage tags, crosses, pen and pencil sets, greeting cards, especially graduation cards, and sometimes wedding cards as well. Clocks, memo cubes, figurines, gift bags, travel mugs, notepads, and calendars. And business card holders, ceramic mugs, magnets, t-shirts for both you and your dog, backpacks, candle tins, banners, keepsake boxes, photo albums, steins, stationery, mouse pads, and money clips. Also, water bottles, posters, teacups, 
coffee mugs, aprons, tote bags, screensavers, and bumper stickers. So, for such a popular verse, why in the world am I here to try to take it away from you? Well, maybe it's something to do with cutting down business. I don't know. Anyway, let's go ahead and read the passage where Jeremiah 29.11 comes from. So we're going to read now Jeremiah 29.1-14. to 14. Let me set the context here. Jeremiah is a prophet in Judah around 600 B.C. And his message for the people of Judah is, there are bad times coming because you are a sinful, wicked people, and the Lord is going to punish you for your sins. And starting at about 606 B.C. and going down to about 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes, and in a wave of different deportations, carries away many of the people of Judah to Babylon. They are exiles there. And to these exiles, Jeremiah writes a letter telling them about what's going to happen in the future and what God has designed for their lives. Jeremiah 21, verse 1, it says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. So he's writing this letter from Judah to the exiles who are several hundred miles away in Babylon. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, and now this is the text of the letter. The interesting thing, though, is that the letter is not so much from Jeremiah as it is from God, from Yahweh, the Lord of Israel. So what does God write to the exiles? So here we go. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. Pay attention to that. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was the one who came and captured all those exiles and took them away to Babylon. But God here claims responsibility for what Nebuchadnezzar did. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So keep that on the back burner, that this is the exile that the Lord himself executed. And here's what he tells them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 
Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, some of these false prophets were even telling the people that they would only be there in Babylon. The exiles would only be there in Babylon for a couple of years, and then it would all be over and they'd come back. However, the message that the Lord sends is this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then now we come to our verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And notice that phrase again, to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, I want you to follow me here and analyze a bit what this letter means and especially how it relates to this idea in verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But in the context of this letter, note the problematics. Jeremiah tells the exiles to build houses and settle down. Or, in other words, this exile is not going to be one of short duration. You're going to be there for quite a while, 70 years. And as lifetimes go, some of you will never return. Jeremiah tells the exiles to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray for the peace of your captors? They would have preferred to have been told, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as it says in Psalm 122. Jeremiah told them not to pay attention to the other prophets. Well, frankly, they would have preferred to have received a letter from one of those other prophets one that would have told them that they would be coming back to Judah in just a short couple of years. Jeremiah told them that the Lord has plans for them, that he won't harm them, and they will have a hope and a future. And they would have preferred, I believe, that Jeremiah elaborate on that point just a bit more. After all, Jeremiah, 
we are in exile and we know full well that some of us are never going to get back to Judah, to Israel, to the promised land. So this is the problem that we have with verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. It's part of an overall letter that has to do with the fact that the Lord is disciplining his people. He is punishing them for their rebellion against him. And yet in the midst of that letter tells them, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. But set in the context of this letter, you wonder how that could actually happen. Now, as I mentioned before, Jeremiah 29.11 occurs on all kinds of um, Christian mementos, uh, book bags and totes and jewelry and cards and mugs, etc. Here is the problem that we have when we take a passage like Jeremiah 29.11 and do that. And the problem is this. Aren't you simply lifting that verse out of context And when you do it, you end up making it say something that it doesn't really say. Now, perhaps we could have chosen other verses in Jeremiah to put on our mugs and our T-shirts. For instance, perhaps we should have chosen Jeremiah 21.10. I have determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and he will destroy it with fire. Or perhaps we could put Jeremiah 7.29 on our mugs. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament on the barren heights. For the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. That wouldn't go down very well at a graduation service, would it? Or perhaps Jeremiah 11.14. Do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. Or perhaps we could put Jeremiah 16.9 on the mug or the card. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Before your eyes and in your days, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in this place. So much for using Jeremiah 29.11 at weddings, huh? That just sort of destroys it. Or how about Jeremiah 17.4? Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. And then, in a verse that could almost serve as a parody for Jeremiah 29.11, what about Jeremiah 18.11? This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. Now, when I taught my classes, I told them, you know, we could just as easily, if we're going to lift verses out of context, we could take these verses and put them on a graduation card or a or a wedding blessing, or a mug. Well, some bright student in my class decided he should do just that. And so he gave me a mug. This is a picture of me at my desk 
um, hand resting, or, or a chin resting on my hand, and um, uh, I'm looking pensive and scholarly, and it says on the mug, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So there you go. This is the kind of mug that you ought to receive, right? Now, before we uh, try to resolve some of this, let me just mention one more thing. I'd like us to read just a few more verses in Jeremiah uh, 29, starting at verse 16. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city. Your countrymen who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like poor figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. So Jeremiah has two different messages here. One for the exiles carried away to Babylon about I know the plans I have for you, I'll give you a hope in the future, versus the people who were left behind, and the people who are left behind he regards as the poor figs, and against them he is going to bring sword and famine and plague. He goes on to say, I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, and an object of cursing and horror, of scorn and reproach, among all the nations where I drive them. And then we come to verse 19, which is so very interesting. Why is God going to do all those things to those people in Judah that are left behind when the exiles are carried away? And his answer is this, for they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. But then, notice this. And you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Even though he refers to one set as the poor figs and the other as the good figs and says that good things are going to happen to the exiles versus bad things happening to the ones who are left behind, they're both characterized by being people who didn't listen to the Lord. In other words, the exiles, for all the good things Jeremiah says to them, they're not really that great shakes either. They're just as bad, perhaps, as the ones who are still back in Judah, who will be overcome by sword, famine, and plague. Okay, now right now in the back of your mind you're wondering, Okay, how is he going to rescue this verse for me, right? So let me close here by just giving you what I think are seven important implications of what we have looked at regarding Jeremiah 29.11 in the context of the whole chapter. The first implication is this. God is sovereign, and he orders the affairs of our lives. If good things happen to you, you can always attribute that to God. If bad things happen to you, you cannot conclude that God somehow or other 
let one slip by unnoticed. Remember what Job said, and I think Job said it very well. Shall we receive good from God and not evil? So whenever the bad things happen to you and the good things, you must recognize that you are receiving both of those things from the hand of a good and sovereign God who has a purpose in what he is doing. Second, God will discipline his people. Part of God's plan for you and for me, God's, part of God's plan for all of us, is to discipline us. And what God said in Jeremiah 29.11 was said to a people who were being disciplined by the Lord. Now, as the author of Hebrews tells us, discipline is never something pleasurable when you're going through it. But it produces something. In fact, it produces something whereby God will ultimately have good things planned for you and will give you a hope and a future. But you cannot simply claim that hope and future on your merits because God disciplines us. And you can't simply come back at God and say, well, I know you're disciplining me, but I don't have to pay too much attention to that because Jesus died for me on the cross and I'm saved and once saved, always saved. And nothing bad is going to happen to me. But this is the very problem Jeremiah was dealing with with the people of Judah. He said, the Lord is going to come and punish you and discipline you, take some of you away, and the rest of you will be punished by sword and famine and plague. And their response, and their response to Jeremiah was, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We have the temple. We have the place where you dwell. You would not do that to us. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, says the very thing that God did to his people then is the same thing he can do to his people now if they turn their backs on him and abandon him and forget him and live as if, as if they were not covered by the name of Jesus Christ. A third implication. Persecution and discipline can overlap each other. A person who is undergoing persecution uh, can also be undergoing discipline at the same time. The Babylonians were persecutors of the Jews. They hated the Jewish people. They hated them because of their, uh, their, their, their worship of one God and their failure to, to, to give in to them when they came against them. They were persecuting the Jews and what they did. And yet God also used that persecution as a discipline. Now here in North America, we don't face anything like the persecution that people are facing around the world. I think we do face persecution 
uh, through some of, the th- some of the decisions that have been made in the legal system. I think we've faced persecution through social media. But we always have to ask the question, is some of that persecution we face our own doing? Maybe we don't act very well as Christians. Maybe we tend to be super combative in the public sphere. And when that happens, I think we earn ourselves a bad name. And so the persecution we face from that could actually be discipline as well that God is disciplining us with. It is possible to face persecution and discipline at the same time, even as the Jewish people did. Number four, the default setting for Christians is to understand that God has put them where they are supposed to be. The default setting for Christians is to understand that God has put them where they are supposed to be. In some ways, this is kind of like those common proverbs you've heard, uh, go with the flow. Or maybe you've heard someone say, bloom where you are planted. Now this does not mean that you can't do something to better yourself or get in a different situation, that if you're in a job that's not working out real well, you can't try to find another job. But it does mean that while you're in that situation, you have to be a good representative of Jesus Christ in that context. If you are being persecuted, accept it. If you are being disciplined by God, recognize it and even thank God for it. Accept your lot in life and recognize that if God has placed you in a certain set of circumstances, well, God was indeed the one who placed you there. He is the one who orchestrates your life. Number five, Christians should genuinely seek the good of the communities in which they are located. God wants us to be good citizens. He wants us to be supportive members of our community. And if we pray for the peace of Canada and Alberta and Edmonton, we're also praying for ourselves at the same time. And if the city in which we live prospers, we too will prosper. And so God wants us to be good citizens, good members of our community, even though that community might not like us all that much because we're Christians. That does not take away our responsibility to be good citizens. Number six, God ultimately has the best interests of his people at heart. He will give them a hope and a future. But the larger question to ask here is this. Do you ultimately have God's best interests at your heart? Are you indeed a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? So this hope, this future, this thing we can look forward to, 
is for those who, as Romans 8 tells us, and I think that's one of the verses to come later in this series, it is for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God says all things work together for good for those who love God. But later in the passage, he lists some of those all things. And here is that list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, nakedness, danger, and sword. We have to recognize that these things may be in our future as well. And yet, ultimately, God's future for us is indeed one that is characterized by hope. We have the hope of those who know that for those who love God, for those who recognize that he is the one who orchestrates their lives, and for those who have God's best interests at their heart, they indeed do have a hope and a future. And then one last implication. Whenever good things do happen to you, you can't take credit for it. I think that's part of the reason why I kind of rebel a bit against these graduation cards because you receive them almost as a way of saying, you've done a wonderful job. You're bound to have a good hope and a future. You're bound to have good things happen to you. But the interesting thing is that God says not just to the people who are left behind in Judah, but he also says to the exiles, you didn't listen to me either. When God does good things for us, remember, he is always doing them for a sinner. He is always doing them for someone who doesn't deserve them. And Paul's questions in 1 Corinthians 4 are so important for us as Christians to remember. Paul says this, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Important questions for us. So, my brothers and my sisters, I believe that for those who love God, for those who want to do what is right, for those who have captured the heart of God and knows, know what he is about, for those who follow him, there is indeed the Lord's purpose, not to harm, but to prosper, to give us a hope and a future. But it is for those who are in love with God, who want to do those things that bring honor and glory to him. And so in this way, you can claim the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. And I pray that that will indeed be a reality in your lives, even amidst all the affliction that may come your way. Let me 
close this part of the service in prayer. Our God and Father, we realize that we are a sinful people. And we also know how easy it is for us to take those good things you promise us and to decontextualize them out of where they are located in your scripture. We have this tendency to claim all the good things for ourselves and yet fail to recognize with Job, shall we not receive evil along with the good from God? So when those things happen, when we are disciplined, when we are persecuted, when we go through the normal things of life where depressing and disciplinary things happen, help us even in those times to recognize that you are the sovereign God and that you are working all things together for our good. Help us to recognize that and give you the glory and not claim it for ourselves. And we ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.